HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program is brought to you by the Dairy Farm Families of Wisconsin, the Wisconsin Milk Marketing Board. Did you know that today Wisconsin produces more than 600 varieties, types, and styles of American, international style, and original cheese that win more awards than any other state or country? To learn more, visit eatwisconsincheese.com. My name is Hannah Forden. I'm the membership coordinator at Heritage Radio Network, but even before I joined the team, I loved listening to HRN during my subway commute. It made the time go quickly and left me feeling inspired for the day ahead. HRN listeners tune in from all over the world, but there are a few traits that we all have in common, no matter where we listen from. A curious palate, the fierceness to make a difference, and a hunger for lifelong learning about the culinary world. As you know, Heritage Radio Network is a listener-supported nonprofit. To deliver the most ambitious, entertaining, and of-the-moment stories in 2018, we need your help. We need to raise $150,000 by December 31st to accomplish these goals and to keep your favorite shows on the air. Together, we can make this HRN's most exciting, impactful, and delicious year yet. Become a member by donating today. Join us at heritageradionetwork.org slash donate, and you'll immediately start enjoying benefits such as VIP invitations to HRN events, where you will mix and mingle with your favorite hosts. Memberships also make a perfect holiday gift for all the foodies in your life. This year, why not give the gift of food radio? You'll hear your generosity in action for the year to come. Help keep our lights on and our mics hot by pledging your support today at heritageradionetwork.org slash donate. Thanks for listening. Hello, this is Diane Stemple on HRN's Cutting the Curd. Today, I'm pleased to welcome in studio Michael Harlan Turkel, fellow host on HRN, to discuss his book, Acid Trip, Travels in the World of Vinegar. Let me describe the book. Hello, Michael. How's it going? <laughs> He's a host, too. <laughs> anyway, let me describe the book to our listeners because I think most 
often I do cheese books. So uh, it's a trip around the world investigating the producers of excellent vinegars and also many chefs who love to use these interesting vinegars in their recipes plus recipes. So it's a lot of everything in this book. It is. It is. Many, many a years, a culmination of journals and empirical data bound. <laughs> I can imagine. So how did you get started on your vinegar interest at first? Uh, I think accidentally. Mm-hmm. You know, like most people assume vinegar is made by leaving a bottle of wine out and open. Mm-hmm. But even before that, I, I kind of always had an acidic palate. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I... I I wasn't necessarily a pick eater, but I, I ate my things. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm remembering now I used to have uh, tomato and mayonnaise sandwiches almost all through high school. Mm-hmm. And I, I liked the piquancy of a fresh ripe tomato and, you know, the little fat and sharpness of, of a well-made mayonnaise. Mm-hmm. Um, and then moving into college and then, you know, finding food for yourself and cooking mm-hmm. for yourself. I worked in restaurants because... I didn't want to go hungry. Mm-hmm. And it was there when I started learning about the balance of, of not just food, but how to construct a dish. Mm-hmm. And like most chefs even say today, you know, if a dish is missing something, it's usually acid. Mm. You know, we have season to taste, but we should also have acid to taste too, because, you know, it, it cuts through fat. It, it kind of exalts other flavors and, mm-hmm. and you know, disavows blandness. Okay. So, yeah, I think it was <laughs> well, from that. Well, disavows blandness sounds, sounds good to me. <laughs> yes. <laughs> now, okay, so first you got you, your taste was in the vinegar direction. Ha- then how did this become a book idea? I started making it in my backyard. Mm-hmm. Um, had a party mm-hmm. and had a whole bunch of beer left over. So I filled up a barrel with that leftover beer mm-hmm. and a just, mix or one beer it was a single keg it was six points um atlantic amber mm. and i put it in there just as an experiment um and i also had no other place to put it at the moment and i thought i was gonna barrel age it like i saw cocktails happening mm-hmm. uh except i kind of intentionally forgot about it mm-hmm. and left it in the backyard to overwinter and open it up in the spring and when i did it was by and far the best beer vinegar I ever had in my life. You know, and I didn't know what it was at first, and I mm-hmm. tasted it, and its piquancy and its depth. And I said, what the heck is this, and how can I do this again? Ah. And I spent the next couple of years kind of reverse engineering that process, mm-hmm. not only with beer and wine, but fruits and vegetables, everything I could get my hands on that I could ferment. Mm-hmm. So it started as a hobby? Yep. Okay. Okay. And you're f- photographing things and doing other projects during this whole time? Yeah. I mean, I always have these kind of eccentric personal projects at home. Mm-hmm. I'm always experimenting, making mm-hmm. mainly pantry and condiments, you know, from, mm-hmm. from I tried miso for a while, uh, mm-hmm. making it, and uh, yuzu kosho, mm-hmm. the Japanese condiment with uh, citrus and salt and chili that you ferment together. Mm-hmm. Um, so I said, why not? I'll try vinegar. And then I kind of researched around and didn't find many other vinegar makers in this country mm-hmm. or literature that would lead me down the path of making my own. Mm-hmm. So even before all the food stuff, I had a math and kind of science brain. Mm-hmm. Um, so the best way to investigate something for me is through empirical data. Mm-hmm. So I started trialing and experimenting and recording my errors and kind of figuring out what controls and variables I needed to make a good vinegar. Mm-hmm. And, you know, after years and years, about three years of journaling, mm-hmm. um, I had a lot of material. Okay. And 
I was trying to figure out what my next step was. Okay. Now, so at that point, does it turn into a book idea? It did. I had kind of been asked prior to putting together the proposal that is now Acid Trip to write a vinegar book. Oh, okay. Um, I had been kind of training a couple chefs about my methods and mm-hmm. making some kind of bespoke vinegars for restaurants, mm-hmm. selling um, my own uh, through retail at Stinky Brooklyn, which is a fantastic cheese shop where mm-hmm. I make most of my vinegars. Mm-hmm. Um, but I didn't feel like I knew anything. I knew mm-hmm. my way of doing it, and I, I kind of read a little about about the history of how vinegar is made mm-hmm. um, throughout the world, but... I, I'm a visual learner. I'm a tactile learner. Mm-hmm. So I needed to contextualize it by mm-hmm. going to those places. Okay. Uh, so what better way to write a proposal and cross your fingers that a publisher <laughs> says, yeah, we'll give you the money to travel around the world. Well, now that's what my next question is. How many years from, you know, did it take to do the research, not the making at home, but the research traveling and how many trips and did they, did they fund them all? All said and done, uh, I think it took me about eighteen months. Okay, um, and I and were you on the road often? As as much as I could be, you mm-hmm. know. Obviously, they they give you a lump sum of something, and you mm-hmm. have to figure out how to have that not only uh, pay for your travel, but pay for your recipe time. testing and development mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. time, mm-hmm. Um, and then then book tour on the latter half once it comes out. I mean, there's a lot of things to consider there. Mm-hmm. So. As much as I wanted to travel around the world, and as mm-hmm. much as I did, there are still places I didn't get to go that, I, <laughs> uh-huh. that I'm still hoping to someday, like south of Spain and do mm-hmm. sherry vinegar in Jerez. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But I went through Europe, um, France, Italy, Austria, and Japan, and then mm-hmm. back to North America, mm-hmm. and kind of used that latitude as, as a way to talk about the thread of vinegar mm-hmm. um, in food and culture and economics, uh, you know, sociologically, too. Mm-hmm. Well, the bulk of the book is divided into parts of the world. It, as you said, France, Italy, Austria, which kind of surprised me. <laughs> I didn't know Austria was big in the vinegar world. And Japan and North America. What parts were the most fun? Oh, I mean, all of it. I still feel like it's a <laughs> ruse that I got to do this in the first place. Um, it, Austria, because that was the thing that kind of closed this cycle for me. Not that mm-hmm. it's ever going to be done. Had you been to Austria before? No, but I felt like I had because the first sip of vinegar that ever kind of stuck out in my mind was Viennese. Okay. It was when I was a cook in number nine park in Boston, mm-hmm. a cook photographer trying to figure out what my way was. And mm-hmm. Barbara Lynch, the chef there, gave me a cap full of something and told me to kind of shoot it back. And mm-hmm. it was this PX Noble Sour drinking vinegar from Gegenbauer. I mean, I only know this now, but I didn't know that then. She gave me a little bit of the bottle and said, you know, have this. I think that's in yeah. my book notes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> have this. It's yours. Um, and, and don't fuck it up. And I'm like, fuck it up. I, I don't know what this is. I don't know how to use this. Right. And I was so scared that I kept it in my pantry for months upon months before actually opening it up again. Mm-hmm. So I didn't know what vinegar really was. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, I tried to do my research and there wasn't much information that wasn't in very technical you know, journals about acetic acid, not mm-hmm. vinegar in the culinary right. context. But 15 years after that first taste, I went to Vienna and Arrived at the doorstep of Ervin Gegenbauer, who mm-hmm. I still to this day think is quite possibly the best vinegar maker in the world. So that's why I went wow. to Austria. And how old is he now? Uh, 
you know, he's so well preserved because of all the vinegar. <laughs> I mean, I'm terrible with ages. Um, but but it, that he was still there 15 years later, and he already was the best. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's the best because it was the first one that I had. It was like the canon uh-huh, for uh-huh. all other vinegars. Mm-hmm. I found other great vinegars around the mm-hmm, world, and mm-hmm. you know, uh, I'm not saying he's the best ever and mm-hmm. the best one existing. Just in my mind, that was the one for me. Right. Right. You know, that's the one that opened up these doors and made me travel around the world. Right. For it. The pinnacle. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But. Austria, um, there's a lot of vinegar in mm-hmm. Austria. Mm-hmm. In the south, in Styria, you know, there's a lot of apples, so you get a lot of apple vinegar. Okay. Um, you know, it's not all fermented sauerkraut. It's not all lactic acid, mm-hmm. you know, and you need that. Right, ac- because that was what I was thinking. Like, yeah. Mm, is this from the food or yeah, what, what's no, going on there here? There is a lot of, uh, well, there's schnapps culture. Mm-hmm. And with all the pumice of those fruits, you can make vinegars. Okay. But, you know, to bring it back to cheese, not that, you know. <laughs> you don't have no, to. No, <laughs> well, I think it's a fascinating thing to look at a cheese board. And you have certain cheeses there, you know, from from very aged cheeses to triple creams. Mm-hmm. There's all fat. And, you know, the more mm-hmm. aged, usually the more acidic. Mm-hmm. But the foils on that cheese board are usually the little condiments or the little accoutrements. And the majority of those, if not super sweet or acidic, right? Because you need that balance. You need that, you know, harmony in or that, that bite. Palate cleansing. Yeah. Aspect. So where I found cheese, I found vinegar. Okay. Okay. And Italy and France would be big on that. <laughs> in that, in that oh, yeah. List too. Yeah. Well, <laughs> France for sure. When a lot of that cuisine, well, Many people believe it to be based in butter and cream, and it mm-hmm. is. Mm-hmm. But if you make a Bernays or a Hollandaise or any of these mother sauces, you're cutting that cream or that fat with acidity and mm-hmm. usually vinegar. Mm-hmm. And then Italy, where I went, was Modena um, and Reggio Emilia, the mm-hmm. Emilia Romagna area. Uh, and that's where Parmesan is. Mm-hmm. That's right. You know, and it's it's the <laughs> land of slow food and fast cars. Mm-hmm. So it only makes sense to have another slow food like balsamic <laughs> vinegar, you know, kind of be in the same district, in the mm-hmm. same mode of thought, mm-hmm. you know, as, as Parmesan. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Okay, so what was the hardest part of the book? Um, Coming <laughs> home and writing it? No, I mean... I guess I'm a, a writer now, mm-hmm. but I was a photographer. <laughs> and as you can tell, I have a lot to say. Uh, it was uh, trying to organize myself to write in a way that made sense. Mm-hmm. And the reason I separated in these you know, countries uh, and chronologically is because that's how you learn. There's an evolution. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the hardest part for me was stopping. You know, again, there was so much more I wanted to explore. I wrote about Filipino oh, you food. Could have, you could have said more in yeah, every chapter. like adobo, um, mm-hmm. cooking in adobo or cooking, you know, braised meat in this like very acidic solution in the Philippines. Um, again, like south of Spain in Jerez, sherry vinegar. Mm-hmm. Um, in Mexico, there are amazing pineapple vinegars and like banana vinegars and there's Wherever there's a wine region, there's usually a vinegar, too. And I wanted to go mm-hmm. to you know, mm-hmm. South Africa, and I wanted to go to... <laughs> I mean, I had lofty goals. Well, vinegar, too. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you hear up. that, Abrams? Let's do another book. <laughs> uh, anyway, hasn't vinegar improved their reputation, vinegar in general, improved its reputation as you've been researching and writing? It's, it seems like it's become 
a more favored ingredient. I, that's fine to become a more favored ingredient, but you still have to understand where it comes from and who makes it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that association still gets lost in the discussion of what vinegar is. Mm-hmm. Uh, people love hearing, what's your favorite salad dressing? You know, mm-hmm. How do you make a vinaigrette? Mm-hmm. But I can tell you, I went to a rice paddy in you know Miyazu, three and a half hours north of Kyoto, and I met this guy, Akihiro Io, who grows his own rice to make his own sake, to make his own vinegar. And I think that's the bigger story about, you know, what vinegar should be mm-hmm. um, than, you know, how great vinegar is. Mm-hmm. Uh, that we have so many things in this country. You know, vinegar is nothing more than 4 to 6% acidity, mm-hmm. uh, acetic acid in solution, in right. water. Right. And vinegar can be made of any alcohol. And even prior to that, any sugar that can be made in alcohol. And prior to that, any starch that could be made into a sugar that can be made into an alcohol mm-hmm. can become vinegar. And we mm-hmm. have so many starches and sugars in this country and alcohols that we don't turn into vinegar. Mm-hmm. And we rely on uh, large companies making vinegar out of ethanol, uh, petroleum. Um, white distilled vinegar is, is the worst. It, we mm-hmm. don't really understand that, you know, yes, it's agricultural, but it's commodity. Right. You know, it's terrible right. grains and terrible processes and, what I'm really trying to push forward isn't just delicious food, mm-hmm. but, you know, real products, like right, real ingredients. Right. Well, that, I didn't know how to, I call that in cheese, I call it big cheese, which has nothing to do with artisanal cheese. Yeah, yeah. So is it, do you call big vinegar, like For the a grocery lack, store vinegar? Yeah. What's What do you call For it? For lack of a better term, yes. Okay. And then there are the artisanal real vinegars that you're studying and yeah. making and talking about. And there aren't that many of them mm-hmm. for you know, a multitude of reasons, whether mm-hmm. or not it was big vinegar kind of pushing them by the wayside. Mm-hmm. You know, there were hundreds of apple cider vinegar makers in this country pre-World War II. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, now there are big companies like Heinz making... Right. Right. Very industrial well, I, vinegar. I think one of your statistics was that the good vinegar is 0.01%. Oh, I bet you it's lower than that. You think? Yeah. I think uh-huh. I, I was talking about maybe balsamic in oh, okay, the maybe. Italy yes. chapter. Oh, yes. and like real, traditionale, DOP, the 12 to 25-year age. Right, right. Oh, no, right. that's 0.00000001%. <laughs> Balsamic's a like billion dollar industry, right? And right. the majority of it isn't is, real, yeah, isn't authentic, isn't right. traditional, right? And 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 some of it might be good, but mo- a lot of it's bad. Yes, like can you still be? Can you make a good product in a bad way with I, vinegar? No, I don't. I don't believe you. I mean, yes, it, mm-hmm. there are some masters that can use. This is a very tricky question. Because <laughs> Sorry, I, no, I'm it's skipping a, ahead it's to a, great a, a later question. Because the bad ways of making vinegar, I, I think vinegar has to start from a good ingredient. And mm-hmm. that's the basis okay. of whether or not it's good or bad. Mm-hmm. And the majority of supermarket vinegars aren't. Mm-hmm. Then there's the question of how it's made, whether or not it's kind of slow and low and done mm-hmm. open air and traditional methods or right. using an acetator, this larger mm-hmm. device that is hermetically sealed and pushes a whole bunch of you know, air in there to oxygenate it and kind of mm-hmm. accelerate the, mm-hmm. the second fermentation process. I've tasted vinegars that use acetators that are really damn good. Okay. Really okay. delicious, but 
they're using really great ingredients to start with. Okay. Okay. So I don't want to try like that. Sort of like milk and cheese. Yeah. So I don't want to try uh-huh. that. Right. Um, right. But I know what I prefer, mm-hmm. and it's the ones that are made kind of in a slower, more traditional manner, mm-hmm. have this texture, have this mouthfeel, have this mm-hmm. story behind it in a mm-hmm. way that something thrown through an acetator mm-hmm. doesn't. This is how we talk about cheese I'm on this show. I'm telling you, that's why I'm here. <laughs> there are so many analogous things. Okay, we have to take a break. Uh, we'll be back talking to Michael Harlan Turkel about his book, Acid Trip. <laughs> Today's program is brought to you by the Wisconsin Milk Marketing Board. Wisconsin produces the world's best cheese, period. Why? Lush grasslands, glacial water supply, fourth-generation cheesemakers, combining old-world tradition with the new ideas and highest standards. The very best milk. What do you think of when you think of Wisconsin cheese? For me, I think cheese curds. Delicious, fresh cheese curds or deep-fried cheese curds. Cheese curds literally any way, any time, any place. I think about Andy Hatch and Upland's Cheese Company, the operation behind the Pleasant Ridge Reserve cheese that's literally America's most awarded cheese. I think of the deliciously stinky Limburger and its long-storied history. I think about Raleigh's Dumbarton Blue, a perfect blend of English-style cheddar and notes of blue. I think of Emmy Roth's Grand Cru Chirchois, which was named 2016's World Champion at the World Championship Cheese Contest. Wisconsin is like the world champion of cheese, and once you start reading the list of cheeses made in Wisconsin on their website, you can see why. The Wisconsin Milk Marketing Board is a nonprofit organization funded entirely by Wisconsin's dairy farm families. Read more at eatwisconsincheese.com. And as soon as you're done listening to this podcast, eat Wisconsin cheese. It's a no-brainer. Hi, welcome back. Diane Stemple on Cutting the Curd, talking to Michael... Harlan Turkel about vinegar. So um, now when I read cheese books, I often have to go buy one of the cheeses I'm reading about or go to the refrigerator and just start eating anything. Um, But with this book, and I do love vinegar, I felt my mouth puckering. (laughs) It It was like a response to all the vinegar talk. I'm, I'm glad. I mean, <laughs> you know, a good vinegar should make you salivate. Yeah, yeah. Take another bite or want more. Now, I want to ask about your background. I know you're a photographer. Yep. Were you an English major, a science major, <laughs> a history major? What did you study before you got to food? Mainly math and sciences. Oh, okay. Yeah. So that's where the experimenter comes yeah, in. Yeah, I mean, I went to school thinking I wanted to do something like theoretical math. Oh um, yeah! Oh, <laughs> and cosmic evolution and ah, okay. Um, but really, I wanted to cook. Okay. So uh, you know, I'd been in kitchen since I was fifteen. Oh, okay. So you were already cooking before you got to college. Oh yeah, absolutely. Okay. Um, so it was that path. I played in bands. I wanted to do music. I mm-hmm. I didn't touch a camera till I was twenty. Mm. So photography okay. wasn't part of you know that that vision. And uh, 
I didn't think food was either. Just the only time I had to photograph my assignments was while I was working in kitchens. Mm-hmm. So those two things amalgamated. And uh, I moved to New York, still cooking mm-hmm. and still photographing, trying to figure out which path I was going to take. And Edible Magazine started. So I jumped on on issue two of Edible Brooklyn. And ah. that kind of set me in the food media journalism world. Ah. Um, so and I still got to be... do have very nice pictures, yes. the Edible. Yeah, so I still got to be the journalist I wanted. Mm-hmm. Um, and be in all the kitchens I couldn't cook in <laughs> um, and see the food in the light that I wanted to see it and mm-hmm. be able to travel and mm-hmm. see food in context. So I think I had set myself up for doing this book, um, intentionally or not, in a way that I knew how to kind of navigate a food system right? Um, and explore that, uh, again, empirically and mm-hmm. um, through my tastes. So, yeah, I was... Sort of everything came to fruition in yeah. this book. So, I mean, I, I wrote and photographed this book. I wore many hats, but I, I was ready to do it all. Mm-hmm. Now, I have a question. How early in the process did the name come to you? I, it was the first thing I thought of, but it was never... It was a placeholder. Uh-huh. Okay. Um, but then once I started telling people about it, everyone thought it was funny. Yeah. And then it translated around the world and everyone would laugh. So yeah. It was, it's a cool name. Yeah. It's yeah. a cool yeah. name. I mean, sometimes on book tour, you get people coming up to you thinking it's a book about something else. Right. Uh, but the intrigue is there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Now I have another question. Are different flavors tied to different cultures vinegar wise? Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Because of what they start with? Yep. Uh, what they start with, the percentage acidity that mm-hmm. they are. Um, I mean, rice vinegars in Japan are much softer and rounder. Mm-hmm. Um, so less acidic? Usually, yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, but I've had rice vinegars upwards of 9% in Japan, too. Mm-hmm. Then in the book, I kind of profile three different types of rice vinegars. Mm-hmm. There's komazu, which is the one that we probably all know, the regular rice vinegar, unseasoned. Mm-hmm. Um, the second one is akasu which is a red vinegar, which is really, really flavorful and takes years and years to make because it's all the sake leaves aged and then pressed. Mm-hmm. Um, and then kurotsu, which is a black vinegar from the southwest of Japan, mm-hmm. which is more akin to the Chinese chi and kang black vinegars mm-hmm. that we see as like a condiment for long bao soup dumplings or, you know, braises for kurabata porks. Mm-hmm. Um, so... Those are three distinct flavor profiles of just rice vinegar in Japan. Ah, okay. Um, and then around the world, yeah, it matters what you start it with. So apple vinegars in, you know, in, in Austria. Mm-hmm. But you come back to the States, we have this idea of what apple vinegar tastes like, but there are so many different kinds of apples. And I've tasted single variety, single origin apple vinegars now. Mm-hmm. And, you know, from one apple to the next, they taste very different too. Yeah, yeah, as apples do. Mm-hmm. Hmm. But isn't it when you put a bunch of apples together, it gets more similar per batch? Yeah. I mean, I make honey vinegar, mm-hmm. um, and I buy a lot of milfiori, the mm-hmm. mixed flour, um, though it changes seasonally. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's a more consistent flavor, but I actually do different batches and then blend almost like a winemaker okay. to make a vinegar uh, mm-hmm. to my taste profile, to my mm-hmm. likings. Okay. Now let's talk a little bit about balsamic vinegar because I think it's the most well-known yeah. uh, fancy vinegar, I'd say. It's the gateway for a lot of people into vinegar. Uh-huh. So um, this is where I found found the quote for 0.01% mm-hmm. is uh, DOP. Yeah. And is DOP not even reliable? 
No, that is the most reliable. It is reliable. Oh, yeah. Okay. So yeah. there's no cheating. No, uh, there's a consortium there with mm-hmm. a hawk's eye. Okay. Because there are traditional balsamic makers that are making DOP and then they go through a tasting process and when they don't hit certain tasting points or notes, they don't get to call it DOP. Oh, okay. So it's a very, very well vetted Mm-hmm. Um, balsamic, but it's also a very expensive and exclusive one because of that. Right. Now, what are the rules for DOP? DOP should be, the rules are ever-changing right okay. now, but um, made in Emilia-Romagna. Mm-hmm. So there are only two cities that can make balsamic uh, DOP traditionale, and that's Modena and Reggio Emilia. Okay. Um, it has to go through a series of barrels and descending sizes mm-hmm. anywhere from five to 12 you know the number isn't actually locked in mm-hmm. usually starts with a harder wood just for some structure and kind of eases into more flavorful ones like cherry and juniper for some accents okay. um aged a minimum of 12 years and okay. can go 25 plus okay uh but yeah it, and it, how much will that cost it's a scale i mean anywhere from maybe just under 100 to few hundred mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. depending on okay. how aged it is how rare it is and can you make a good balsamic vinegar not dop yeah. without without the rules i mean how do you do it who does it <laughs> there are a few in the states that make balsamic vinegar mm-hmm. so balsamic to me is more a style than it is a place right because it's the only vinegar that I know of um, that is actually a syrup. Like, you take mm-hmm. all the grape must and reduce it down to mm-hmm. a certain percentage, and then you ferment it. Mm-hmm. So there's an unfermented version of that condiment called saba, which is sold because it's easier to get direct to market. Okay. Um, and then the fermented one is the balsamic vinegar. But you can reduce down a lot of fruit juices and then ferment it in a balsamic style and make a great vinegar because of that. And will it taste like balsamic vinegar or will it taste like apple vinegar well you know i've had a whole bunch of apple balsams apple balsamics and okay it's the texture it is the the, thickness yeah Mm -hmm. that is certainly um a defining character but what tastes like balsamic is also the grapes that they use from that region you know Mm -hmm. they're they're the same ones using lambrusco wine it's also the 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 terroir of the spaces that they make these balsamics in Mm -hmm. it's usually people's attics and i don't mean like industrial complexes i mean people's attics at home that's where balsamic was made Mm -hmm. up until 1972 balsamic really wasn't widely distributed or Mm -hmm. known um even in italy then chuck williams of williams sonoma brought back some bottles started selling them that's how it started it was matriarchal mothers made it for their daughters um when they were born to give away as a dowry for when they were married so it was never meant to be a retail product is that in the book? I must have skipped that part. I tore that page out. Of oh. <laughs> <laughs> Just so I could have this. Oh, moment. yes. Yeah. You, could, you could surprise yeah. me with this information. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, Thank you. <laughs> My mother didn't make me any. No, no. I had an Italian mother. She should have made me some balsamic vinegar. Yeah, exactly. Maybe she's got hers stockpiled away. And has a, <laughs> maybe it was so good she didn't want to give it away. <laughs> That's probably true. Um, I want to return to Italy and retrace your steps. It it felt like a similar book is Lou DiPaolo's book about sourcing ingredients in Italy. Yeah. 
uh, and it just is you want to be there. And then you have the pictures of the people and the and the what are they are what do you keep vinegar in? The the battery of the big barrels. Oh no, but the, I mean, um, is it a cave? Is it what's it called? Um, you know, they call it acid tires, but you know, it's oh, okay. usually um, under the roof. So, oh, okay, yeah. okay. <laughs> but there are a lot of pictures of those. Oh, yeah. locations yeah. in the book, and they just look so delightful well, to I, I go hope you visit. Get to go visit them. I do. I want to. Uh, anyway, so let's see what uh, I want to know. This is a personal question. I want to know where do you buy vinegar, good vinegar, in New York or Brooklyn? It's a great question. Um, <laughs> well, you should go into places that don't have it and demand better stuff. Well, okay, but all. that doesn't yeah. answer the question. <laughs> uh, Dean and Duluca has a great wall of vinegar. Okay. Um, I, you know, I didn't put a, a list of vinegar makers in the book. I noticed intentionally. Okay, um, why not? You didn't want to play favorites? No, it, because uh, importers and distributors change so often. I didn't want it to be outdated. Mm -hmm. I also, you know, took an acid trip and traveled around the world, and I only hope it encourages other people to do the same. Okay. As an, you know, agro, uh, as an agricultural product, it, mm -hmm. it's, it's amazing to see these things in their place, like you would cheese and wine. Um you know, search for them on the internet. Uh, okay. Go directly to these sources and ask. Well, where online? Do you have a good suggestion online? There aren't any. There Zingerman's aren't is any? amazing. Oh, okay. Zingerman's has the best vinegar wall in the country, mm -hmm. by and far. So I... Um, I online. Would, uh, online, mm -hmm. or if you and go into the person. deli in Ann okay. Arbor, Michigan. Mm. But yeah, it's it's been a hard thing. And I've been trying to put together this way that people can access all these. And I, I will eventually do one on my website. But mm -hmm. even in the time that I wrote the book and edited and it came out and being on tour, I've had maybe about 30% of those vinegar makers change distributors and importers. Some aren't available anymore. Okay. So it's one of those markets that, you know, go direct to source and go to places like, uh, winemakers or breweries or mead makers, people that are one step away from making great mm -hmm. vinegar, some mm -hmm. of them actually make some vinegar and don't okay. tell anybody. <laughs> but I think we should encourage these you know, local artisans, um, either vinegar makers or people that are near, you know, almost vinegar makers by mm -hmm. making these mm -hmm. artisan alcohols, we should encourage them to make great and better vinegars. Because... Um, I could name almost every vinegar maker in the country now. Now, it did seem in the book that there way you did way more vinegar makers uh, in Europe and Japan and more chefs and smaller makers in America. Was that, was that your experience or was that? Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, there just aren't many. I, mm -hmm. there's so no one's, there's no artisanal vinegar being made there are now. Okay. There are more and more kind of popping up. Mm -hmm. uh, I profiled a couple people in the mid-Atlantic. Mm -hmm. So Lindera Farms, Daniel mm -hmm. Lieberson, mm -hmm. who's in Delaplane, Virginia, who kind of works off his family's 220-acre estate. Mm -hmm. uh, it's a na nature preserve, and he kind of forages for ingredients there. And then Keepwell Vinegar, which started in D.C. and is now in Pennsylvania, also uh, looks for mid-Atlantic sugar sources to make in alcohols, to make in the vinegars. Um, on the West Coast, I think Albert Katz 
is one of the best vinegar makers in this country and has been doing so for you know decades now. Mm-hmm. And he's in Napa, okay. you know, in the wine region, making okay. beautiful, expressive, single varietal wine vinegars. Okay. Um, so there are. It uh-huh. just it's it few just and didn't far seem between. as many. You know, especially for yeah. how big the country is it's, and how much vinegar we probably use. We use a lot of big vinegar. <laughs> right, right. Now, um, the book is full of stories, too. Uh, the North America section, you talk about this guy, Gidi. <laughs> yeah. Can you tell us, just so that you give the flavor of the book, can you tell us Gidi's story? Oh, man, can anyone? He is... <laughs> What's his last name? I cannot pronounce oh, it. Oh, I'm not even going to try. That's why we just call okay. him Gidi. Okay. Uh, um, Chai Tira Font? Yeah, so he's Thai. Okay. Um, but I've known him for a handful of years through a lot of other chefs in Boston. Mm-hmm. Uh, and actually, a lot of other chefs around the country as kind of this eternal stager, like mm-hmm. stagier. Mm-hmm. So he's, he's mm-hmm. worked at a lot of restaurants and knows so much and so many people mm-hmm. and it's just kind of this amazing passion of of wanting to help other people progress their you know hmm. pantries wow. so he's a uh, he forages in and around boston and mm-hmm. around this country mm-hmm. um and makes not just vinegars but that's what he was kind of primarily making mm-hmm. for a while mm-hmm. uh lots of you know fermented items from black garlic to you know he's made misos and mm-hmm. he's made you know so many different things but when you go into his house I think I described it as you don't know whether or not he's packing, unpacking or packing to go someplace <laughs> else. He himself is, is nomadic in how he works, but mm-hmm. not who he is. He is so ingrained within the community of chefs in Boston and the community of fermenters in this country that, you know, he, he's just been a wealth of knowledge in, in talking to him about ancient methods and mm-hmm. different source ingredients to make vinegars out of. So... I went to his house, we had lunch together, you know, and I've known him uh, here and there. Mm-hmm. And just seeing the amount of projects that he has working, he's amazing because he's unafraid to fail, too. Mm-hmm. And that's what I learned through the process of this book, too. Uh, it is a long process to make a vinegar. Uh, you have to have time, you have to have patience. Um, and the more you do it, the better you get at it because you know the signs of which way to steer it if it's going awry or, mm-hmm. you know, how to control it when you need to. Mm-hmm. Um, and he, he has been a great help in kind of talking through some of those processes. Mm. Neat. Yeah. Yeah, he seems like quite a character in the book. He is. And <laughs> I mean, he could have a book of his own just yeah. profiling him as a person. <laughs> Following him around oh, to yeah, all his... Yeah. Uh, but if you ever get a chance to escapades. taste his vinegars, they're called mm-hmm. heritage vinegars. Um, mm. He makes an amazing pine one. Uh, I give a recipe for his banana one in the book, mm-hmm. which actually doesn't use bananas. It uses you know, old banana peels. Oh, right. Yeah. So I now save banana peels in my freezer, much to my wife's chagrin, (laughs) because of Jitty's, like, mind-blowing banana vinegar that he makes. Oh, that does sound kind of gross. But it tastes like (laughs) fresh, ripe bananas. Oh, wow. Yeah. And he thinks of vinegar in the same way I think I do, as this kind of sustainable and renewable resource, too. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yes, I don't want people to use shitty stuff to make good vinegar, Mm -hmm. because that's a struggle. Mm-hmm. You know, make use good stuff to make good vinegar. Right. But sometimes you can use things that are going to be throwaways or tertiary or secondary, you know, thoughts mm-hmm. um, into really beautiful and expressive vinegars. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. next time you peel something or cut, you know, something off right, of a vegetable. Yes. It might work. Absolutely. Right. Now, I have another uh, silly question. 
uh, innocent question. What will happen to the recipes in the book if you use boring vinegar that you have on hand? Will you? Will it be just awful? No, I mean it depends on the vinegar. Yeah. Um, if you've got a mid-range vinegar, it might be okay. There's there's two things to vinegar. There's the the acid, which is that kind of sensation, that mm-hmm. feeling, that yeah. reverberation on your tongue and in your throat. Um, and then there's the flavor, the nuances, the character. So it will just be devoid of that latter. Okay. You know, uh, it, but if you you might hit the the acid yeah, right, absolutely. Even if you don't but, hit the flavor component. Yeah, right. but it depends on what recipe it is too because mm-hmm. if it's highlighting the vinegar as it is right then you better use a good vinegar right. um but i i would say people can try different vinegars like swap out vinegars mm-hmm. in the mm-hmm. recipes themselves just to mm-hmm. see maybe you like apple vinegar and you don't like wine vinegars maybe you like lemon vinegar and you don't like x vinegar right. you know right. it's it's kind of I should have written it more choose your own adventure and, you know, Mad Libby <laughs> in that I just left a blank there. Right, Because right. I really do think um, there is no one recipe for mm-hmm, anything mm-hmm. that, you know, it's, it's, it's a taste preference. Well, that'll preference. go into book two. Yes. The Mad Lib. Yeah. <laughs> the Mad Lib recipe. Yeah. As trip down the wormhole. <laughs> okay. Well, thank you very much for joining me on my show. Uh, it's been delightful. It's Michael Harlan Turkel talking about his book, Acid Trip. I recommend it to everyone. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.